0: The devil wants you an eternity of hell. God wants you an eternity of heaven with him. Who's gonna win? Whoever you believe, because what you believe is the direction in which you will live your life. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. So, we got to the end of chapter 7 in Romans last week, so we're kicking off finally with chapter 8. How many of you know Romans 8 is quite packed and powerful? This is, I mean, this is somewhere you want to go for so many promises, so many powerful promises. Chapter 8 and chapter 12 stands out for me in a big way in the book of Romans, and it's so jam-packed we're not going to be able to do the whole chapter today. Um, I mean, you know me, I would love to, (laughs) but then we'll... We'll have lunch here together with the little, you know, communion symbols. Uh, it, th- it will be a long day. But as we, as we stopped last week, we, we've, we've been talking a lot about what? Sin and the power of sin and what it means to be in Christ and the life we have after that in the spirit. Amen? Are you with us on that? You understand this? And I know that, and and the more I I, I realize this, and the more I speak to people, I realize that there's not, in general, there seems to not be a lot of teaching on sin, and teaching on what we were actually saved from. Is anyone, I, I mean, a lot of people here come from different churches or church backgrounds. How many sermons can you count were about sin, and what we were saved from? A lot, like overwhelmingly a lot, or a few or nothing, it's an interesting question because it's why it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about but you would have to ignore the whole book of romans as you can see to not preach about sin or talk about sin in the church and why do you think paul is hopping on this all the time i think it's because we really need to understand what it is what its power is and and what we are freed from in jesus why because it creates thankfulness gratefulness it creates freedom. It creates a thing of, I don't want to go back to that. All those things. Amen? Are you with me, church? All right. Cool. So, we're going we're gonna to get into chapter 8. But before we do that, I'm going to talk about sin. A lot. And I'm going to read a lot of scriptures to you. And by the end of this first part of today, you might want to leave I saw one couple left already. I was like, I haven't even started preaching yet. Maybe they had an emergency. I hope they're okay. But we, we need to understand what this is so that, so that we can have the revelation of what Jesus saved us from. Because a lot of people say, yo, no, I put my hand up and I said, I said the sinner's prayer so that my life can be now for Jesus but you actually don't really have a revelation knowledge and understanding of what that means. Because if if we all walked with a revelation knowledge of the sin and the wages of sin, which is death, eternal death away from God, if we realize what that is that he saved us from, we will walk in so much more humility and power. Because we won't want to go back to that. We will want to see other people be saved from it. We will see it more clearly in the lives of others. Okay. I'm going to stop explaining that now. I believe it's important for us to define sin. Based on where we are as a society and the things that I'm seeing and hearing and happening around us, I'm convinced there's a general lack of awareness of sin and what it is. Case in point... Last week, some of you know, I made a statement about certain posters that went up on our streets. There was quite a massive reaction nationally. I'm like, I just said it for our people here in Somerset West, but suddenly it's everywhere. And and I got some interesting, (laughs) I got some very interesting reactions and assumptions that were made about me. And my wife and, and our family, and it was very, and what I realized was there's a, there's a general sense of there's nothing wrong with this. And it wasn't just unbelievers. I got criticized by many people who would call themselves Christians. So if there is a lack of revelation of what sin is, do you think it's possible that there will be a lack of revelation of the fear of the Lord? Do you think it's possible that there'll be a lack of revelation of what we've been saved from in Jesus Christ? So what will the fruit of that be? Familiarity. Pride. Doing things my way. So we need to know what sin is so we know what we're dealing with. And for those who don't know, we need to be able to educate them in love, but truthfully from the word of God. Now, from what we've read in Romans so far, we should know by now that Paul speaks of sin as a power. Have you noticed that? He speaks of sin as being an, almost like an entity that has a hold over us. Have you noticed that? And he even mentions that it brings death and that it reigns. We've, we've seen that. He speaks of a death, of sin, reigning in death. So I want you to almost imagine this little gremlin with the, with the crown on, Raining, like death is raining, and and because sin has, it's almost like this power that has a, it has an influence over you if you are not in Christ. So sin, as a word on its own, can refer to this power, the way that Paul has been referring to it, but we also know, and I've ministered this to you before, sin is missing the mark. The mark of what God has said, this is, this is my standard for holy, righteous living. If you don't live up to that, that is sin. I remember when I was in youth and stuff in church, there was always this question, yeah, but you know, is it sin to smoke? And, and that's the wrong question. People always go to specific things, like is this wrong and is that wrong? You should rather be asking yourself the question, am I pleasing God? When I do A, B, C, D. Not ask, is this, is this, is this. If you are wondering about it, it probably is. But you know what? There's different words in the Bible. We hear sin, we hear iniquity, we hear trespass, and we hear transgression. In general, it's all about missing the mark. But they do have some specific meanings which I want to explain to you. So, but first sin. Sin can mean doing something against God or a person. You can sin against God or you can sin against a person. Sin can be doing the opposite of what is right. Failing to do the right thing, you know to do, is always also sin. I know what the right thing is to do, but I'm not choosing not to do it. So it's sin by omission of doing the right thing. And then um, the sin can be a word for anything that falls short of the glory of God in general. All right. Now, the sin nature that Paul talks about leads to trespassing. You know what trespassing is? If you have a house with a fence and you put a sign up and says trespassers will be prosecuted, what do you mean? You mean that someone is not allowed to go over the fence into your space, right? How many of you have a fence like that and a sign with an ugly dog in the front? Okay, to scare people. Some of you have snakes. Some of you have a little blue light that's fake. (laughs) Yes, I have an alarm system. Don't come here. (laughs) So the trespassing in the kingdom for God means going somewhere and doing something that you're not supposed to do. You step into a place that it has been said, don't go here. But... Where trespass and transgression can be separated is in terms of intentionality. Trespass can mean, I didn't mean to do it, but I kind of stepped into it and I didn't know. But transgression means that it's a presumptuous sin. It's to choose intentionally to obey. So transgression is willful trespassing. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going through these quickly because it's actually a whole teaching on its own, but I want you to just understand some of the fundamentals. Then iniquity is a step further than trespass transgression. Iniquity is like next level. This is borderline evil because when you are committing iniquity, it means that you've premeditated to do it. You've planned it out. You know it's against God's will, but you're going to do it anyway, and you're going to do it well. If I'm going to be bad, I'm going to be good at it. David, after committing adultery with Bathsheba, planned to get her husband murdered. That was iniquity. He was trying to cover up his first transgression with an act of iniquity. If you read Psalm 51, you will read David's repentance before God, and he specifically says, Asks for forgiveness from iniquity. The good news is, as born again believers, we can repent of all these things sin, trespass, transgression, iniquity. We can repent of all these things if and if we have genuine. Repentance. The Bible makes a very important distinction between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is superficial, you're just saying the right thing to get out. Like when I ask my children sometimes to say sorry to each other, Yo, Kshammer, Kshammer, Kshammer. Yo, Kfagirwe, Love you, dude. But there's, you, know, you can see, You can see when someone means it and when they don't. Now, take that up a notch. God can see your heart. Are you truly coming before him in humility and repenting with sorrowful heart that I I went against God? I sinned against God. What did the prodigal son say when he was eating the pig's food? I mean, he's a Jew. He is between unclean animals, eating unclean things. He is at the lowest of the low that a Jewish person can be. And he said, I'm going to say to my father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. That was the, and that's what changed everything. The repentance started with a realization, I messed up. I sinned against God. And that's what that is. And when we truly repent before God, there is forgiveness. 1 John 1 says, if you truly repent, God is faithful to forgive. James 5 says, and encourages us in discipleship relationship, if you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. Now, it's important for us to stay in that place of humility before God. The only sin that the Bible says is unforgivable is the sin against the Holy Spirit. What is that, you might ask It is to continually, in rebellion, reject the Holy Spirit and to never accept him into your life. And that's basically what it means to not follow Jesus and to not end up in heaven with him. All right. Now, let's get specific. We're going to talk about some specific sins, iniquity, and transgressions. I'm going to fire. This is a fire round of some scriptures. Are you ready? You're not ready. I'm not even ready. We're going to start with the basics, which I don't think people hear enough. Do you think you know the Ten Commandments off by heart? may have used to know it. I'm going to, I'm going to go through the main parts of Exodus explaining this. Are you with me? Let's go. Exodus 20, verse 3 to 4, 7 to 8 and 12 to 17. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. What are we seeing today? There will be no other, none beside you, none before you. What is the first place that the devil will attack you? Is God really God? Do you really have to serve him? What is he going to try and convince you to do? Serve you or serve something else other than God. If he's really clever and if you have some kind of idea of who God is, he's going to try to get something that's as important to you as God is. And then you are living in sin. Because no one and nothing should be more important than or as important as God in your life. So right off the bat, God is telling his people, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. What is he saying? Don't make something and worship it. What does this include? Making up your own version of God. Did you know that you can make up who you think God is and worship that and be contravening the second um, commandment? This is actually another definition of cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity in many different cultures, not just in the ones that we may know, but it it comes in many different cultures. You, You make up an idea of God that suits you. You make it part of your culture and then you worship your culture. This week I saw it happen all over this nation when the controversy came out with myself and with Greta Witt and all these things that are going on. And you see Christians attacking Christians. People that say they are believers but they hold their own opinion and feelings at a higher standard than the word of God. They've lost all fear of God They've lost all fear of the word of God. They use clever arguments and nice seeming words to cover up the fact that they have no fear of God. Or that they've created their own God and that they're worshiping that. It's a sin. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Do you think it's possible to pray to this God that you made up and use the Lord's name in vain? Because you're not praying to the God that's holy, the real God that's alive, let alone swearing by his name, which we see all the time. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's the first commandment with a promise. Do we see fathers and mothers being honored in this land? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, his, your neighbor's wife, your male, his male servant or female servant, nor his ox, his donkey or anything that, your be, that belongs to your neighbor. How many of us live in comparison to others? How many of us live in the land of I wish that I dot, 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 had this, had that? Do not covet. All right. More verses that talk about sin, transgressions, trespasses, iniquity. Mark 7, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. Not me. Jesus For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within the sinful nature that Paul's been talking about, and they defile a person. 2 Timothy 3 from verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be proud, arrogant, blasphemers, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Grammy Award-winning song of the year is called Unholy. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I see there's another translation there. I apologize for that. But it's pretty similar. Avoid such people. Wait, this one is important. Swollen with conceit, reckless, lover of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. How much of that is going around? This is Paul prophesying in times to Timothy. He says, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see people who have an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Romans 1 verse 29. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Here it says whisperers. Those are people who gossip, talk about other people. It's a sin in the Bible. Galatians 5 verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Another translation, I think that one says, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been Entrusted. i want to ask a difficult question today that probably will upset some of you and will probably cause some emails to flow my way or people to come and punch me in the gut i don't know how many of you believe that the bible teaches once saved always saved Well done. I'm Where is this going? I've always been careful to, to say this. I'm not going to make a statement. But I will read you some scriptures. The question is, do you believe that you, if you are once saved, you are always saved? In other words, you only had to say... I will follow you, Jesus, once in your life, and then you can do what you want. You will end up in heaven. Okay? So that's the question. Scriptures, 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Matthew 7, 23 follows directly onto that. And then I will declare to them, Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning is practicing lawlessness. Jesus says, those who practice lawlessness, I never knew you. James 5, verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, in other words, knew the truth and wanders from it, and someone turns him back, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Colossians 1 from verse 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Is he speaking to believers who have given their lives to Christ? Church, is he speaking to believers who have given their lives to Christ, okay? Then he says, if indeed you continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to you, Every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you know what that word if means in the Greek? It means if. Do you know what the word if implies? It's a condition. Yes, but God loves me unconditionally. Yes, he does. But your choices have consequences. He says you are saved, you are blameless, you are above reproach on his side. Glory, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. If, whoa, wait a minute, don't say if. If means I have a responsibility. If means I have a stewardship responsibility. If means I actually have to do something. Do you get this? This one is hard. This is one that I even want to take out of the Bible. But I won't because it's the word of God. Hebrews 10 verse 26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common. And unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy on us. Just let that sink in for a moment. This is serious. This is real. I, myself, when I read this, I was so fearful because I've done that many times. Knew the truth. Knew who Jesus was. Gave my life to him. Knew what he did on the cross for me. And I still willfully did things I knew I should not have done. And I went to God and I said, Lord, what about this? Am I now doomed? Am I going to hell? And that's how you might feel. It's like, Heinz, can be really please take that out of the Bible? That would be nice. But it's written, and it's written in the context of Hebrews explaining who Christ is, that he's greater than the angels, greater than Moses, and that anyone who follows him should know this reality and how serious it is to the Father. This should bring us to conviction, lead us onto our knees before God and say, Lord, I never want to sin again. I never want to willfully Out of rebellion and pride, do what is against your will and your word. And if we genuinely choose that, His Holy Spirit empowers us to live that way. What has Paul been showing us this last while? It is possible to live righteous, holy lives by the Spirit of God. Amen? And now, After all of that, I've got good news for you. Before we get into the good news, do you understand to a greater extent now what sin is and what it does? Are you going to run back to your sins? Good. (laughs) We will keep you accountable as necessary. We keep each other accountable. Now we come back to where we left off in the book of Romans. Now that we know what sin is, what the power of sin is, what the consequences of sin is, what the consequences of living in rebellion to God, let us now read Romans 8 from verse 1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, he owns you, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death, and everyone says hallelujah, thank you Jesus, all right, I'm going to take these verses one or two by one by one or two by two, and then I'm going to talk about them, and when I talk about them, you can take them off for a second, and then we'll continue, all right. In in John 1, we read that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. But those who do not receive him are already condemned. We read that in John 3 as well. The enemy, through sin, brings condemnation that we experience through guilt and shame. Condemnation, guilt and shame, draws us away from God. Amen? But the gospel, sorry, the enemy though, uh, the gospel, the good news, is that for all who belong to Jesus, all who are in Jesus, there is no condemnation. So what is, what is the reality? Is that in, if we are living in, under the power of sin, there's condemnation and death. But the, the reality as well is that in Christ Jesus, we are free. We, have no, we are no longer condemned. And we can get excited about that. No more eternal death. No more guilt and shame as we journey through life. Well, no guilt and shame necessary if we feel guilt and shame we need to ask Holy Spirit what's going on because I don't know about you but even though I have given my life to Christ and walked with him a long road I still have moments where condemnation wants to come and guilt and shame wants to come and then I have to go hey where's this coming from because it's not from the Holy Spirit because condemnation guilt and shame pulls me away from God what does God want he wants us to draw near to him So the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit will always be to draw us near to Him. Amen? Do you understand that? And here's the key. And that's why today's message is the third installment of One spirit. Because the power, everyone says the power. The power of the life-giving Spirit of God has freed us from the other power, the power of sin that leads to death. There are two powers at work. Do you see that? There's a war raging for your eternity. The devil wants you an eternity of hell. God wants you an eternity of heaven with him. Who's going to win? Whoever you believe. Whichever you believe. Because what you believe is what is the direction in which you will live your life. We continue with Romans 8. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. In that body, God declared an end to sin's control. In the body of Jesus, God declared an end to the power to the sins control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. All right. Now the law of Moses is unable to save us. Why? He repeats it because of our sinful nature. Now, does anyone still need convincing that they were born a sinner with a sinful nature? You still need convincing that you were born a sinner? (laughs) It's important to realize and acknowledge this and remember it because it keeps us humble and grateful before God. It is also very important to understand and believe because if you think you're exactly how you were born and that is the right and the best version of you and everyone else should just accept that, then you will never have a revelation that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. I was born this way. Can't help it. This is just who I am. This is just how I am. Be born again. All of us, need to be born again to have eternal life. All of us need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God, even to see the kingdom of God. We have to be born again. We have to be born of God. It's not just the words you say in a prayer. It's a definite decision that changes you. You were now this way. You made the decision. Now you are a completely different way. There is fruit on the decision. So God sacrificed his own beloved son by sending him in a body, and this word says, like ours. He was in exactly the same kind of body that we are. Only his son never sinned while in this body. But him who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Come on. It's the one standard by the one way through Jesus Christ, the gift. Are you seeing the pattern? (laughs) Who remembers the Sermon on the Mount series? We did that before this one. What did Jesus say in the beginning or after the Beatitudes? He did the Beatitudes and then he said something profound. He said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets but to fulfill the law and the prophets and Paul is confirming that in this piece of scripture. Jesus did what no mortal man could do, what the law could not do. Paul says it here. The law of Moses could not do what's necessary. So God sent his son, who's the only one who could do it. And now we see an amazing and significant shift. Jesus did this for us so that, so that what? So that we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. How many of you know that when you get born again, you don't magically leave the body that you were born with? How many of you wish that was true? <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't magically just go whoop and now you try to fight. That would be weird. You stay in the same body, right? But what changed? Because your body still looks the same. What changed? Your spirit came alive. It came alive. So you can fall in the trap of regressing back to follow your old sinful desires because this body and the soul is still on you. So you can fall back. But now we have to choose to follow Paul's instruction and choose to not follow the sinful nature, which I'm still in. I need to follow the Spirit. Why? Because the more I follow the Spirit, the more I'll become like Jesus. Are you following, church? What does it mean to follow? Have you ever followed someone? Have you ever followed someone on a a very difficult path? You don't know where it's going, and you don't know what's around the next turn. You're just following someone. Have you done that? It means someone is leading, and you choose to go after them. That's what follow means. You take the path they lead you. You go to the destination they are leading you to. And you do what they tell you on the way there. Why? Because they know the way. And you don't. How many of you have been on a trail and you don't know where it's going or how it looks, and you argued with the one who's leading you, who knows the way? Have you argued with them? How did that turn out? You were late and lost. How many of you want to not follow the Holy Spirit or tell Him how things should be and see where you end up? Anyone? It takes trust. It takes faith to follow. It also means you do not follow someone else. Following this means I don't follow that because if I follow this, I will not be following that. It is logical, but some of us live that way. Like, yes, I'm following the Holy Spirit, but we're alone. Like. And you're split in two and broken, and you don't know why. Have you ever tried to follow two people? Guys, you may, I really want you to be in the car when my wife is in traffic one day. <laughs> it's so much fun. I, it used to freak me out, but now it's just funny. Because if she's lost... She doesn't know where to go. She follows wherever most cars are going. She's like, most people are going there. I'm just going to follow them. And I go, you don't know where they're going. (laughs) Blindly trusting strangers in cars. Most of them are going there. Okay, so sometimes it works. If we are all going to like a big concert at an arena, probably most cars will be going there. But in general... Not so much. And it's very funny what that has led to in the past. We cannot just blindly follow anything or anyone. We need to follow the Holy Spirit. I choose to not follow my flesh. I choose to not follow my, my nature and my desires, but instead of I'm, I'm going to follow the leading, the prompting, the words, and the heart of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The leading, the prompting, the heart of the Holy Spirit. It means I remove myself daily from the throne of my life. I choose to remove myself. Have you ever heard of a, a, a judge that has to recuse themselves from a, from a case? Because they are biased, right? How many of us are biased to our flesh? I want what I want, and I want it now, right? So if I'm on the throne of my life, I'm going to manipulate and edit and cause things to work out in a way that pleases me. You need to recuse yourself from the throne of your life, and you need to choose to put the Holy Spirit there. Will the Holy Spirit lead you to do anything sinful? Will the Holy Spirit lead you to do anything contrary to the Word of God? No. So how would you know if you're being led by the Spirit? (laughs) When we are not sinning, not trespassing, not transgressing, or not committing iniquity, we are following the Spirit. If you are sinning, if you are committing trespasses, transgressions, and iniquity, you are not following the Spirit. It can't be much more obvious than that. The only thing that can happen here is that an immature Christian who's not studying the Word of God has an excuse to say, I, I, I didn't know. Because you don't know the Word of God. So you might have a trespass or two Said, I didn't know. Okay, get to know. Read the word. But I'm careful to believe you if you say that. Because if you truly have the Holy Spirit in you, he would have given you a check in your spirit to go, no. And you would have had to ignore that check and do it anyway. So now my question is, are you truly saved? Have you truly given your life to Christ? Have you truly received the Holy Spirit? And now the Holy Spirit is leading you? Because you see, even if you don't recuse yourself from the throne, you're sitting on the throne like I'm in charge now. The Holy Spirit is still there. He hasn't left. He's going to give you unctions. He's going to give you nudges. He's going to go, hey, <laughs> He's a bit like that joke that I heard once where this guy was driving on a pass, and he, and he saw this old man, his car had broken down, and uh, he was looking for a lift. So the young man lets the old man climb into the car. But then it turns out this old man is the worst backseat driver of all time. So he keeps saying, oh, oh that's a sharp turn to the left. You have to watch out. He's like, I've got this, Wim. No, 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 wait, wait, slow down. There's another turn to the right. You to watch out, son. He's like, sir, please, I've given you a lift. Just respectfully let me drive the car. I was like, okay. After a while, the, the Wim couldn't hold it in anymore. And he said, small turn to the left. You think I don't see you? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's what the Holy Spirit does with you if you are thinking you're in control. Don't ignore the nudges. He's going to tell you. All right, let's continue. Romans 8, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But... You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of the living God. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Do you see a gray area? Do you see a middle ground? No. You are either following your flesh or you are following the Spirit of God. All of us, oh, all of us should take a dreadfully honest moment here with the Holy Spirit and say, examine me. Test me and know, show me what any wicked way in me. Am I dominated by my flesh? myself, or am I being led by you, Holy Spirit? Here's a sign that you might be dominated by the sinful nature. You think about sinful things mostly. This is what Paul is saying. What is your mind being occupied by? This is a sign whether you are being led by the sinful nature or by the Holy Spirit. What is going on here? What are you thinking about? Guys, do you know that you decide what you think, especially as a Christian. What will your thoughts be influenced by? It will be influenced by what you read, what you watch, what you scroll, and what other people are saying to you that are in your inner circle. And it will be influenced by what you do the most of. If you are mostly reading, watching, listening to things that are not in line with God's will and His Spirit, that will become your narrative. What is a narrative? A narrative is the base thought line that I'm working from. And this is what we are seeing in our culture right now. Why did God call me with a mandate to help cultural Christians fall out of the the sort of veil that they have? It's because that veil is thick. Just in this week, we heard people speak this way. I love Jesus, and I love Christ, and I follow him, and him and I, we have an understanding. And then they continue to list sins that they live by, that's their lifestyle, that are contrary to his word. But, and then when someone tells them, and this is contrary to the word, they say, well, the, who knows what the word is really saying, if it's really true. It's written by so many men over so much time. It's probably, you know, hearsay. So there's complete lack of fear of God, complete lack of respect for the Word of God, and now this person say they are a Christian, but they're not. They're, they're I mean, okay, let me, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever signed up to work for a company, anyone? Did you sign a contract? Did that contract have clauses that tell you how the culture of this company works, and what the rules of this company are. Anyway, do you know that what happens if you contravene those laws? Are there consequences or nothing? Can you walk into the company and just do what you want? No. Why do people approach God like that? Lord, I want to sign up for this Christian thing, but I just have a few ground rules. Lord, I want to be part of this Christian club, but I just want to tell you that, you know, those chapters and those verses, I just want to, you know, move them out of the Bible. I know this is the manual that you gave us to live by, but I have a better plan. Would someone hire you into that company and keep you employed if you do it that way? No. Why do people expect God to do the same? It's way more serious. It's way more eternal. But that's what's happening in our world. Paul is saying, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. What does the word letting imply? It implies permission was given, authority was transacted. It also implies that I do not have to let my sinful nature control my mind. It means I have a choice. I don't have to let me be led by, by, by sin. I can choose to be led by the Spirit. What happens in your mind? <laughs> Some of you say, not a lot. <laughs> we think there's thoughts coming and going all the time. It's where our thought life happens, but it's also where the spiritual battle begins and ends is right here. It is your thought life. It implies you have a choice in whether you are ruled by your sinful nature or not. And then Paul says, but letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How many of you would like to have life and peace? Life and peace? Would you like to spend eternity with God? All right, you need to let, which implies a choice. You have to let the Holy Spirit take control over your mind. No, but it's my life. I'll live it my way. I was bo- <clears throat> You need to let the Holy Spirit take control over your mind. The same guy that writes this gave us 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10. He says that for our, our weapons of warfare are not carnal. They are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, arguments, and lofty ideas. And every thought that comes against God, you can take captive and put under the authority of Christ Jesus. That is what you do. Let the Spirit, choose that the Spirit, make a decision that the Spirit controls your mind. Relinquish what goes into your mind and stays in your mind to the Holy Spirit. Yes, the enemy can bring thoughts into your mind that's not godly. It's up to you to discern and to decide what to do with that. If something comes into your mind while you're driving, hey, I wonder what would happen if I drive into that pole. That's not of God. It's an easy one. If you, if you are led astray in some other way that's a bit more difficult, I mean, I've heard of pastors who say people come to them and say, listen, I believe God told me I must divorce my wife. <clears throat> Really? Who is leading your mind? We need to relinquish control. We need to test every thought against the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit's peace. If it is not a thought that is in line with the word, you take the thought captive and put it under the authority of Christ Jesus. Amen? How do I know if it's in line? I need to know the word of God. How do, I need, how do I know it's not in line? I follow the Spirit's prompting. Maybe you don't know the whole Bible yet. Maybe you don't know all the trespasses yet, but you are learning, I'm hoping. But then there's still the Holy Spirit. You can go, I don't know, help me. If I'm about to do anything that's not your will, give me like a very strong sense of no peace so that I know. If it is your will, give me a strong sense of peace so that I know. This is how we walk by the Spirit and not by sight. This Okay, we're going to continue. I'm almost there. Yes, almost there. This is the last part that we're going to read today. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. The Spirit of God, who raised Christ from the dead, lives in you. You can wake up every day and just read that and meditate on it before you start your day and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead he will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you therefore dear brothers and sisters you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do for if you live by it your bodies dictates you will die But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. How do you know someone is a child of God? They are led by the Spirit of God. If they are led by the Spirit of God, the fruit of their life will be in line with the Word of God. That's how we know. You will know them by their fruit. The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And it says, and just as. That means in like manner, the same way that God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give you life. Why does He say He will give life to your mortal bodies? Because you are in a mortal body. And it gives it life. I have seen multiple people who looked like life treated them harshly, They were full of sin, but they were also broken by horrible things that happened to them. And they've got this look on their face of brokenness, tiredness, and and just their complexion is not lacquer. And it's everything seems broken about them. Then they come to Christ. They start to change, and it shows on their mortal bodies. I know people who are in Christ like, oh my word, Michael W. Smith, He's a grandfather of 17. He is deep in his 60s, I think close to 70. He looks like 50. Life to your mortal bodies, walking with God, walking in the favor of God, being part of his kingdom. There's a physical manifestation that comes from a healthy spirit. You've all heard the saying, a healthy body houses a healthy mind. I believe a healthy spirit creates a healthy body. Amen? That's not a diet tip, guys. Don't. You still have to eat healthy. What is this life? Well, sin leads to death. We've read this now over and over. Sin causes our mortal bodies to die and causes those who don't turn to Jesus to have eternal death in hell. So this life that we gain in the Spirit, therefore, is to be free of sin, is to be free of committing sin. And then he makes that exact point. He says, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. What is an obligation? It's something you have a duty or a responsibility to do. Would you agree? An obligation. He says you don't have that. What do most people say? I'm just human. I can't help it. i messed up again. What are they saying? I have an obligation to sin. Ek moet like Ek kan help Ek moet Want dit is deel van But then you haven't died. And if you say you have given your life to Christ, then you don't have the full revelation of what happened when the same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lived inside of you and changed you. You don't have that revelation. And I want you to have that revelation. Why? Why is Paul going like this all the time, repeating, repeating, repeating? He doesn't want this church in Rome to live in bondage of sin. And today I want to say to you, I don't want any of us to live in this bondage of sin. How do we do it? We live by the Spirit and we have a revelation and we receive the revelation that, oh my word, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. I'm going to take over the world for Jesus. Come on. I fear the God who holds everything in His hand. And by whose very grace I take every breath. I do not fear man. I do not fear the things of man, the thoughts of man, the comments of man. I have died to self and I live with Christ. This is good news. This is the good news. I know I started off heavy, but we need to understand the heaviness of what sin is and what the death is that it leads us to in order for us to understand the greatness of what we just read in Romans 8. That through Christ Jesus, we can live free. We can live in power. We can live with authority over this life. We can speak things into being. We can pray and people get healed. We can see cities change. We can see families change. But if we walk with the Spirit, What do you think God's will is for the Helderberg? Do you think it is for people to live in this moral depravity and excuse their sins by attacking people who say, hey, this is the standard? Do you think that's God's will? No, the Helderberg needs Jesus. It needs to be saved. How are we going to get it saved? One family at a time that gives everything to him. Jesus changed the world with 12. We are way more than 12 here today. We must be able to change the Helderberg for Jesus, and then the Western Cape, and then South Africa, and then the world. Come on. Jesus is looking for people who are sold out and following his spirit. We need to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We need to die to self and live for him. We have access to this amazing power when we are born again, when we have received Christ and thereby his Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna read this ending again. Because everyone who follow the Spirit of God are children of God. Jesus said in John 1, everyone who have received me earns the right to be called child, children of God, a son and a daughter of God. So if I have received Christ and by that his Holy Spirit, I'm now walking by the Holy Spirit and that's how I'm known as a child of God. It works together. Jesus, Holy Spirit, all these things work together. Let us stand to our feet and let us reflect and respond to the word of God. Amen. <laughs> And be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.